Good morning. Our scripture is from Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their daughter, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of God. Thank you uh, again, Mamkule. Uh, church, it would be of great help to me if you would keep uh, your Bibles open uh, to that passage that was read. For us, we're going to be spending our time together looking at uh, God's word, particularly from that passage. Um, for those who are joining us for the first time, my name is Black. I'm one of the pastors here at Christchurch Midrand particularly work with the young adults, um, and it is a privilege for me to be bringing us God's word uh, this morning. Um, If you are new and you've been invited, um, you haven't been to church in a while, uh, or you've just never taken any interest in this church thing and somebody invited you today, um, we are delighted that you're here uh, with us. And uh, as Lauren said, please do not rush off after the service. Uh, we'd like to get to know you, and particularly in light of uh, what we're going to be looking at uh, in God's Word. You might have questions. Uh, please come chat to me afterwards, or the person that has invited you. I would encourage you to keep having a conversation with them um, about Jesus. So for the next two weeks starting today, uh, we're going to be trying to answer the question, Jesus, uh, that you did not order. Um, you might have an idea of who Jesus is um, and the Jesus that you're sitting with now. It's probably a different Jesus than that of somebody next to you. Uh, certainly, uh, maybe a different Jesus than the one that we find in the Bible. Uh, but hopefully for you, that by the end of today, uh, you will have at least uh, some answers or at least a way to continue having this conversation around Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, let's start here. What is the difference between a personal Jesus and a personalized Jesus? What is the difference between a personal Jesus and a personalized Jesus? On one hand, a personal Jesus is a Jesus who personally calls you to submit under his lordship. A personal Jesus is a Jesus who calls you to follow his agenda, his will. And to follow his ways. A personal Jesus is a Jesus who seeks to conform you into his image. Where his personhood transforms and shapes your personality. On the other hand, a personalized Jesus is a Jesus that you call to submit under your rule. A personalized Jesus is a Jesus you have personalized by your own filters of how you see your life, the world, how you see your dreams or your ambitions. A personalized Jesus, 
his personhood exists as far as your personhood grows or is limited. If you are successful in any way, then a personalized Jesus can get to enjoy some of your shine. If you fail in any way, then a personalized Jesus is relegated to the naughty corner. He is a slave in your kingdom. He is enslaved to your preferences and your personality. As you sit here this morning, which Jesus have you ordered? Have you ordered a personal Jesus? The Jesus that we see in the Bible? The Jesus that we're going to engage with later as we open his word? Or have you ordered a personalized Jesus? Hopefully by the end of the sermon, all of us sitting in this room will personally have an answer to that question. But for us to get there, we're going to need God to help us by his Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us as I ask you to bow your heads. And then we'll ask the Lord by his Holy Spirit to help us. Sovereign Lord, King of the universe, you know our hearts. And so we come before you this morning to ask that you would work in our hearts to soften them, to help us to take heed of your word. Let's cleanse us of all malice, of vain worship, and help us to turn our eyes towards you, our true hope. And we ask all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. The Louvre, Jordan Sneakers, Amapiano, Namib, Nakluf National Park. What do these things have in common? Well, they're all amazing things. Uh, if I'd have to put it in my own language, they're all just dope things. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say dope things. All right, all right, it's good. <laughs> Let's think about the Louvre. It's a historical palace that stands as one of the biggest museums in the whole world. It's apparently, uh, it will take you apparently uh, over 100 days to see all the 35,000 pieces of artwork that are displayed to the public. Uh, But if you'd have to see all the 380,000 pieces of artwork that are held by the Louvre, it will arguably take you over 500 days or even more to see all of them. One of the most famous pieces of artwork that is held in the Louvre is Leonardo da Vinci's The Mona Lisa. Apparently, uh, or rather, in the middle of this grand monument stands a uh, 21-meter-high glass pyramid that is apparently a spectacle to behold. Um, So I'm praying that by the end of this year, as the director gives me a bonus, I will go to... (laughs) Uh, Paris, and hopefully I will see this uh, glass pyramid at the Louvre. Um, Think about the Jordan sneakers. Uh, Doesn't matter what you think about them, what you know about them or not, uh, but they are arguably a cultural icon. Uh, These shoes change the landscape of the sneaker game uh, and have always set the trend for new waves of sneakers in every generation since. Air Jordans were the first luxury basketball sneaker to be created. These shoes would not be anything if it wasn't for MJ himself. And the man is arguably one of the number one basketball players in the history of the whole game. A first ballad hall of famer. A first among the greatest of all time. 
Apparently, the Jordans hold the record for the most expensive sneakers ever sold. There's a pair of Air Jordans out there that were bought by somebody, signed by Michael Jordan, that went for a whopping 560,000 USD. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> Think of a piano as we come home. I'm glad you asked what that is. Uh, it's an authentically, uniquely, and proudly South African sound that has emerged from townships across Gauteng. Uh, this music has certainly taken the world by storm, and this is no exaggeration, but it's a fact. This music is heard across the African continent, uh, to the UK, Spain, Germany, Canada, the United States, just to name a few. You hear the sounds of a log drum accompanied by crazy piano chords, with vocals from artists such as Amos, Nkosazana Dota, Wuhle, Sir Trill, and Daliwanga, producers like Kabza uh, the Small, Maporisa, and mass music from across the highway in Tembisa have lifted the South African flag on high in the global village with Amapiano. We call it Amapiano, but there's a kid in Brooklyn who calls it Amapiano. <laughs> and if you're a kid who lives in the north, of Johannesburg, you call it the Llanos. <laughs> Maybe let's go next door uh, to the Namib Nakluft National Park, situated in the heart of Namibia. It currently stands as the biggest national park in Africa, covering over 50,000 square kilometers of conservation area. People have described this national park as unreal, uh, as unbelievable. There's a section in this national park that is named the Moon Valley because apparently the surface resembles that of the moon. Incredible. I think we need to take a breath and think about how amazing all these things are. And at some level, church, we can all agree. Whether you've seen these things, you've engaged with them. But if you just do a Google search, you will see that these things are indeed amazing. There is some measure of greatness to them. These things call us to stop. They call us to give our attention to them. And once we give our attention to them, what is that one act communicating? What are we saying when we actually give our attention to all these great things? Well, here's what we're saying. We are saying that these things are worthy of our esteem and respect. We are saying that these things are worthy of our exaltation. They are worthy of our regard. These things are worthy, period. We see their value. We see their greatness. We see their beauty and splendor. In other words, we ascribe worth to these things. The old English word for ascribing worth to something or to someone was the word worth-ship. That's where we get our word worship from. And when you are ascribing worth to something, you are worshiping that thing effectively, or worshiping somebody. And so in the passage that oh, Mama Kule read for us earlier on, this is exactly what Jesus is very clear on, unequivocally so. And he's making this point that you and I are creatures of worship. And if that is true, then again the question comes up. Who are you worshipping? This morning as you sit on that chair, who are you worshipping? What kind of Jesus have you ordered? Again, is it a personal Jesus? 
A Jesus who in and of himself is valuable, is great, is beautiful, is full of splendor. If we even go deeper, this Jesus is the very standard of worthiness. Nothing in this world, all these things that I've mentioned, will not shine if they don't find their shine in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, these things don't have any shine at all. Is that the kind of Jesus that you ordered as you sit here this morning? Or have you ordered a personalized Jesus? A Jesus who stands as part of a long list of the many other things in your world that shine. A Jesus who's just a matter of preference. Other people like the art, so they like the Louvre. Other people like music, so they like Amapiano. Other people like religion, so they like Jesus. Is that the Jesus that you have ordered? A Jesus who is just a matter of preference. He's just a great option among many other great options. Is that the Jesus that you have ordered? A Jesus who's just another taste choice among many other taste choices. Other people are going to go eat Burger King today. Other people will eat McDonald's. You eat Jesus and take a bite of him from Sunday to Sunday when you can. After all, he's the best drive through option. Doesn't cost much. He's easy. Doesn't demand at all. Is that the kind of Jesus that you have ordered. If that's the kind of Jesus that you're sitting with, that's the kind of Jesus that you've ordered, that you've modeled again uh, after your own preferences, a Jesus that follows you, that submits to you, a Jesus that succumbs to your personality. I want to lovingly say to you this morning that Jesus does not exist. That Jesus is a figment of your own preferences. But the Jesus that we're going to find in the Bible is a Jesus who's on a league or in a league of his own. There's no one else like the Jesus of the Bible. There's nothing else in this world like the Jesus of this Bible. Everything else in this world that we ascribe worth to finds its worth from Jesus. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Jesus created all things, and all things exist through him. He presents himself as the source of life, the word of God, the principle of divine reason, the creative order. Second person of the Trinity, that's the Jesus of the Bible, the creator of the visible universe, the source of intellectual and moral and spiritual life. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That is a personal Jesus, a Jesus of the Bible, who's the very fabric of beauty that gives any worth to all the artwork in the Louvre. We cannot ascribe the same worth to this Jesus as we do all the things that he created. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Just like the Jordan sneakers don't find any value outside of Michael Jordan, so it is so with Jesus and even more. He stands alone. He gives shape and meaning and definition and worth to everything else. That is the Jesus of this Bible. That is a personal Jesus. Jesus, again, who calls you, is calling you this morning. As you walked into this very building, he is calling you to submit under his lordship. He stands alone as king of the universe. He calls you personally by name to follow him, to follow his agenda, so that you can be transformed according to his personhood. That Jesus is calling you this morning. Amen.
You're probably wondering to yourself, why would I start a sermon so drastically? Because that's the tone of the passage that we're reading. Jesus is calling you to wake up. Jesus is saying this is a matter of life and death. The soul is at stake. The world around you is collapsing. People are running to try and find meaning and hope in everything. All these other things are amazing and we can see them. We're not blind to them. But those things will not be our firm foundation. Those things will not give us meaning. Those things will not give us ultimate worth. And so this morning, Jesus is calling you to come rest on him as your sure and firm foundation, as your solid ground to stand on when everything else around you is shaky and everything else around you is collapsing and falling apart. Will you adhere the call? Would you give your life to this Jesus? What do we have before us? It's the Gospel of Matthew, um, also known as the Gospel of the King. This word gospel means good news. And in this passage, Jesus speaks a lot about good news. It's good news of the King, the King of the universe. What we have before us this morning is the good news of a king for you. This passage is uh, quite a tough passage. Uh, and so just to slow it down and break it up for us, uh, there's three clues that we're going to see uh, that will give us a, a deeper understanding of what Jesus is actually communicating here. And then after those three clues, we'll look at three numbers as points for us to take as we leave to really contemplate on what Jesus is calling us to. So three clues and three numbers. What is the good news? Let's read again that passage, uh, verses 34 till 36. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to, uh, I have come to, uh, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're probably thinking to yourself, dude, you said that there's good news here. Um, where is the good news as we read any of these verses? Jesus is promising us a sword, and he says that he's not going to give us peace. Where is the good news in all of this? How could this be considered good news? Well, verse 34 is the first hard pill that we have to swallow. We have to make sense of what Jesus is saying when he says he brings a sword and not peace. But for us to understand that, we need to dial back a little bit and ask the question, what do we know of Jesus in relation to peace and in relation to the sword? And for us to do that, we have to consider just the greater context of the Bible because that's where these verses find their meaning. What do we know of Jesus when it comes to peace and the sword? 
Uh, clue number one. I said there's three clues. The first clue is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 9. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for us. Uh, but listen to what Jesus is saying. This is his first sermon on the mountains. He's calling his, disciple, his disciples to himself. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And so Jesus is saying in that one verse, those who are happy, those who are fulfilled, those who have joy, those who are blessed, are peacemakers. And so then we have to ask Jesus the question, well, Jesus, in Matthew 10, you said you did not come to bring peace. So how could you turn around and promise joy, happiness, and fulfillment to those who bring peace? What are you saying, Jesus? Well, Jesus will call us to dial uh, back even further. Which is clue number two. If you're taking notes, write this. Isaiah 9, verses 6. Listen to what it says. For us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Jesus, wait a minute. In Matthew 5, 9, you said that you promised joy, happiness, and fulfillment to those who bring peace. And now it turns out that you are peace. You are the source of peace. You are the Prince of Peace. You are peace himself. So what is happening here? Is this one of those apparent contradictions that we find in the Bible? Is this the loophole? Is this the thing that's going to make us say we don't trust the Bible or even trust Jesus? Well, let's go to our third clue. We have to jump back to Matthew, but move a little bit more forward to chapter 26, verses 51 till 52. As Jesus is with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to get arrested. This is the night before he goes to be crucified. And listen to what Matthew says. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servants of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus again. In Matthew 10, you said you came to bring the sword. Now in Matthew 26, you're telling your disciple to put back his sword. Here's your disciple with an actual sword. Why is he putting it back? What is going on in Matthew 10? We can jump back to Matthew 10. We've seen our our three clues. Um, So our first number, what, what is going on? Number one, let's read verses 34 again. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So what is Jesus doing with all that we know about how he, 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 he treats peace and uh, uh, the sword? Well, in, in Matthew 10, Jesus intentionally then swaps these realities of peace and sword so that he can create a shock in us who are his audience. He wants to wake us up in order for us to take seriously what he is saying. Again, this is the tone of the whole passage. Remember what we said earlier on, that this Jesus who is personal stands in a league of his own. And he's personally calling every individual to wake up. He intentionally swaps these two realities to shout and scream at us, to say, take seriously what I am saying to you. This might be your first encounter with the true Jesus of the Bible. Uh, You might have personalized him 
with your own preferences and tastes. And this morning, Jesus is saying to you, wake up. Wake up. Take him seriously. Go into his word. Stop making up stories of who he is in your mind, but take him at his word. Go investigate. Search for this true Jesus in the word. Again, if your house was burning... If your house was falling apart, you wouldn't want anybody to cuddle you, but you'd want somebody to scream, to wake you up from your slumber. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in verses 34. He is saying, your house is on fire. You need to wake up. Hence, he specifically says, even in verses 34, that he's not come to bring peace on earth. The word earth is supposed to remind us that Jesus comes from outside the earth. He comes from heaven, and he brings a mission into this earth. His mission is to rescue you from your burning house. Wake up. Do not sleep. Don't have any ideas of who Jesus is, personalized to your own preferences. Come to the scriptures and meet the real Jesus. Wake up. Jesus is saying that your earth, the world is on fire. And this is no reference to global warming. But the anger of God has already been revealed from heaven against your sin against your ungodliness, against your wanting to set up your own agenda, to twist Jesus from who he is and conform conform him into your image. And so the Jesus of the scriptures is saying to you, wake up. Number two, what is going on here? Let's read verses 35 till 36. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his household. In verses 34, Jesus screams that you need to wake up. Verses 35 till 36, as Jesus is breaking up families. Again, we need to remember that these verses are not hanging in the air by themselves. These verses belong to the larger context of chapter 10. And so what do we find in chapter 10 at the beginning? Jesus is sending out his disciples to go into Israel with the good news of peace. And so by the time we get to verses 16 of chapter 10, something is happening then. Verses 16, 17, and 21. Read with me there. Listen to what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Behold... I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be aware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Jump over to verses 21, and Jesus is then explaining the reality of what their lives are going to look like as they carry the message of peace into a world that hates peace. Verses 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child, and children will rise against the parents and have them put to death. And so Jesus warns his disciples of the uh, impending sword that is awaiting them as they carry the message of peace into a world that hates peace, into a world that hates the Prince of Peace. And so how does verses 16 to 23 relate to verses 35 and 36? 
Well, Jesus is saying there, as he, it seems, and apparently he's breaking up a family. No, Jesus is saying that his message of peace separates. His message of peace does not create a middle ground. His message of peace creates sides. That's what his message does. In verses 35, he uses the word set against, and that word means to separate. And he's saying that those who follow him, those who have given their lives to him, those who carry the message of peace, they will be hated, even by their loved ones, even by those who are close to them. What do we know of families? But we know that we get our primary identity from our family. Most of the time, our families give us our worldview. Our families help us to see the world in a specific way. They help us to know how to carry ourselves in public, how to move in the world, how to make decisions. Our families shape who we are. You're born into a family. That's who you are. Your surname, you get your identity from them. And so now Jesus is saying, if you want to turn around and no longer find your primary identity from your family and tell your family that your primary identity now comes from the Prince of Peace, comes from the message of peace that you have gotten from the Jesus of the Scriptures, well, then there will be a clash between those two parties because you're going to come with a different identity from the one that your family holds on to. There'll definitely be a clash because now you belong to a different kingdom and they serve another kingdom. There'll definitely be a clash because now you have a different way of living and they have a way that is contrary to your way of living. There'll definitely be a clash because now there are two hearts in this kind of family. One heart that ascribes ultimate worth to Jesus. One heart that says everything else in this world that has beauty has no real beauty outside of Jesus, while another heart in that same family will ascribe ultimate worth to the world and everything else in the world. Jesus is saying in verses 35 till 36, the only way in that family to have peace as if all those people in that family bow the knee to him. That's the only way that there will be peace in that family, as if they all bow the knee to him. And so the big question of verses 35 and 36 for you this morning, have you personally received this message of peace? As you sit here today in your heart of hearts, have you accepted this message of peace? What is this message of peace? Well, it's this, that Jesus is primarily bringing peace between you and God. This might be your first real encounter with the Jesus of the Bible, and you might not have heard what I'm about to say to you before today. You were not born a child of God. You were born an enemy to God. You were born separated from God at birth because of the sin that you so hold on to. What is sin? Well, sin is you missing the mark of living in a virtuous manner. It's not just failing to keep God's commands, but it's to actively act against God's interests. And all is living a life that is immoral. Sin is you falling short of your potential. And what is that? 
is for you to mirror the God who created you. And so your house is on fire. Because you have decided to be God in your life. You have decided to refuse to submit yourself to the God of the universe, the Jesus of this Bible. And so the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against you. You deserve punishment. We deserve death. And so the message of peace is that Jesus steps in. Jesus steps into the place as peace between you and God. Takes the death that you rightfully deserve. Takes it upon himself. So that you no longer could identify with death, but your identity is now life. That you can escape the kingdom of darkness that you were born into, and now you can enter into the kingdom of his light. That you can abandon your own agenda of living for yourself, and you can start living for God. Not tomorrow, but today, as you accept the message of peace that Jesus is offering you. So that your heart can increasingly turn away from the sin that separated you from your creator, and you can move towards God's heart in his word. Do you believe this? Amen. Do you receive this for yourself this morning as you sit here? And if you do, and Jesus is saying that there's, there's going to be radical changes in your life. Number three, read verses 37 till 38 with me. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so what Jesus is saying here, he wants you to weigh the cost of what it really means for you to accept the message of peace. It comes with a cost. Jesus does not want us to be half-hearted about our commitment to him. This whole passage is calling for your allegiance. This whole passage is calling for your loyalty. 100% loyalty, 100% allegiance. Jesus is saying we should not be double-minded at all. Verses 37 and 38, Jesus is asking you, are you in or are you out? Again, there's no fence. Again, there's no middle ground. You are in or you are out. You have to count the cost because this Jesus is not the Jesus of your preference. Three times in those verses, he uses the phrase, not worthy of me. He does this to emphasize this one point, that he alone deserves our ultimate worship. If we are going to ascribe worth to anyone, it should be Jesus ultimately. He stands in a league of his own. He shares no glory with nobody. Have you counted the cost of what it means to accept this message of peace? Jesus says, if you have, then your love for Jesus should be more than that of your mother or your father. If you have considered it, then your love for Jesus should be more than that of your son or your daughter. Then your love for Jesus should be more than that of your wife or your husband. See, Jesus is not calling us to not care, love, 
our loved ones. But what Jesus is saying is that the love that you have for your mom, your dad, the love you have for your son or your daughter, the love you have for your husband or your wife should pale in comparison to the love that you have for him. See, one of these pas- or this passage is one of those passages uh, as a preacher, when you get up on the pulpit, you realize it's, it's a difficult passage and you pray to God to just change it immediately. But it is a truth we have to grapple with. I remember one preacher put it this way, that what Jesus is saying in this passage is that the love you have for him should make the love you have for your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your wife, or your husband look like hatred. You should love Jesus above everything and everyone else. That is the cost of accepting the message of peace. And in fact, what Jesus is saying here is that if your eyes are on him, if your affections are on him, then inevitably what happens is that you love mother, father, daughter, uh, son, husband, and wife better. You love them the way they're supposed to be loved. Why? Because your affections and your eyes are turned to the love himself, the standard of love. He gives meaning and shape and definition to all other relationships. Outside of Jesus, the question that this passage is asking you, do you even know what true love is? It's only in Jesus that we have true love. It's only in Jesus that we can know how to love those around us in the way that they're supposed to be loved because we would have given our lives to love himself. Jesus says, count the cost. Verses 38, he says, you must take up your cross. What does that even mean? Well, Jesus is calling you to a life that is far worthy, a life that has more purpose than anything that you have given yourself to. Jesus is calling you to a life that is far beyond all the thrills, all the momentary pleasures that you're experiencing. He's calling you to a life that is far greater than the comforts of Joburg that you're experiencing. He's calling you to a life of ultimate allegiance to him. Jesus is calling you to wake up. Wake up this morning. And in closing, listen to what he says. Verses 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so in closing, we ask the question again. What is the difference between a personal Jesus and a personalized Jesus. In verse 39a, a personalized Jesus, according to Jesus' words, is a Jesus who will let you live your life however you want. And at the end of that life, you will lose it. Because all of us one day are going to stand before God face to face and God is going to ask us all the same question. Why should I let you live for all eternity? And at that moment, when you pull out your makeshift Jesus, that has been created according to your preferences, God is going to say, that is an idol. That is not my son. That's not the Jesus I sent to the world to die for your sins. What is this makeshift idol that you are presenting before me? It's a figment of your own preferences. 
Jesus is saying there, you will find your life in all the things that you ascribe worth to. But all these things, even the amazing things that we opened the sermon with, all those things will perish. And if that's where you find your worth, you will perish with those things. But verse 39b, a personal Jesus. Jesus is saying to you, if you lose your life now, as he's calling you, there's probably everything in you that's saying, I do not want that Jesus. Why? Because I still want to create him in my own image and my preferences. Jesus is saying, let go. Let go of all of that. Come to him. Give your life to him. And if you lose your life now, for his sake, then you will gain it. That's a personal Jesus, a Jesus of the Bible. The Bible has more than uh, over 50 ways of describing this Jesus. Jesus is saying, let go of your preferences, open up this word, and hear how the Bible describes him. The Bible describes him as Savior. The one who hung on a cross for you more than 2,000 years ago, who took your punishment on himself. He's the Redeemer who buys you from the slavery of sin and death. He is the bread of life. Not your preferences. It's not a gluten-free bread or Sam bread. He is the bread of life. The Lord, the creator, the son of the living God. He is the only begotten son, the holy one, wonderful counselor, mighty God and prince of peace. He is not just the king amongst kings, but he is the king of all kings, the head of the church. Alpha, Omega, he is the master, the high priest, the teacher, Emmanuel, this God who is with you now and is calling you, an advocate who stands on your behalf and speaks to God, defending you, a mediator, a judge who's going to make everything right, the chief cornerstone, the author and finisher of your faith. He is the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd. That's what the Bible calls him. He is the Word, the fountain of living water. I know you have your preferences. It's not sparkling or still. He is the living water. That's who he is. The rock, the Messiah, the true vine, the branch, the bridegroom, the day spring, the lion of Judah, the image of God, the great I am. He is the son of man, the way, the truth, the life. This Bible calls him the Christ. The Messiah who has come to call you to wake up. Wake up and give your life to him today. There's an amazing song that says, Not next week, today. You can see the coco there, today. So, today. Let this Jesus... Conform you to his image. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you haven't left us to our own preferences, our own ways of seeing the world that you have um, shown us who you are in your word. And Father, whenever we feel that we are wandering off, that Lord, we can be brought back by your Holy Spirit 
to this word that has stood the test of time. So I pray for those who have walked with you long and who have forgotten who you are. That you would remind them this morning. Help them to let go of however they have recreated you in their minds. Father, I pray for those who um, have just met Jesus today for the first time. That they would let go of all these other wacky ideas of who Jesus is. And that they would meet you, Jesus, for who you are. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would press the truth of who Christ is in their hearts, that they would accept the message of peace. And that they would give their lives to you, Lord Jesus. We pray for all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen.